Hello friends, thank you for joining us and making us a part of your Lenten experience. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be examining Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb offered as a sacrifice for our redemption. We invite you to join us this season through our Lenten study journal and in our Wednesday and Sunday gatherings. You can find more information on our website at ccgf.org. Here is the message from this past Sunday. Grace and peace to you. Well, Christ Church family, I'm going to remind you that how good God is as well. On Friday and Saturday of this week, Urban Impact does these things called Urban Impact, or they're called art shows. And they're like outreaches for us. And I got to tell you, to God be the glory, 91 people came to know Jesus Christ this past weekend. <laughs> Praise God. Thank God. Thank you for your prayers, your support. And also, I just am always amazed at how well Christ Church celebrates Easter. I always tell Christians, this is our Super Bowl, man. This is the time that we remember who Christ is and what he's done for us. That he died on the cross, was raised again from the, dead, from the dead. And we at Christ Church, I just thank God for Pastor Craig, all the leadership. Can we do something? Can we just praise the Lord by putting our hands together and thank the church for what they do? Praise the Lord. Really. Amen and amen. Well, the title of our sermon is called The Lamb of God Revealed. Our passage is found in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. The story is, is written down in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all come up with little details, different details, but all of them are writing about the same event, which we call Palm Sunday. I'm going to be looking at a number of different Gospels, not just in Matthew, to help us understand more clearly what happened on the first Palm Sunday. With that said, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would just ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin and that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak through me. I pray for your strength. I pray for your joy. I pray, God, for your anointing. And I would ask that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. You wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. Before we begin, I just want to give you the background leading up to our passage. It's Passover week in Jerusalem. This is when the Jewish people gathered together once a year to celebrate when God delivered them from their enemies, Pharaoh and Egypt. However, the Jewish crowd that had gathered together this time to celebrate the Passover just weren't celebrating how God delivered them in the past, but they believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that he was going to deliver them from their present-day enemies, Caesar and Rome. Historians agree that there are over two, mi two million people who were visiting the holy city when Jesus made his final journey into Jerusalem. At this time, Jesus' popularity among the people was at its all-time high. Matter of fact, it was off the charts. Why? Because he just raised Lazarus from the dead. But his popularity among the religious, political people was at its all-time low. Matter of fact, the chief priests and the Pharisees, who were motivated by fear of losing their control and power politically over the people, they were literally plotting, can you imagine, plotting to assassinate the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the religious leaders of the day. Amazing to me. Jesus was a, a wanted man by these folks. And they told everybody, they said, if you see this guy, you've got to come back and report to us where he is. 
That's all written down for us in John chapter 11, verses 45 to 55. Now, when you're out at the cafe today, having fun, food, and fellowship, I want you to open up your Bibles. I want you to read this. John chapter 11, verses 45 through 55. It will shock you. This is one verse found in it, 53. So from the day on, from that day on, they, meaning the religious leaders, plotted to kill Jesus. And then John chapter 12, verse 10 says this. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. So these guys are planning to kill Jesus, then they're going to kill Lazarus. So on one hand, Jesus is loved by the people because they believe that he is their Messiah and he had come to deliver them from the Romans. On the other hand, you have the religious leaders trying to kill him. And this sets the stage that Jesus Christ is riding into when he comes into Jerusalem. Let's pick up the first verse. It says, as they approached Jerusalem. So where are they coming from? Do you know? Jericho. They're coming from Jericho. In Jericho, two things basically happened. One is Jesus came and he healed two blind men, and one of them was called Bartimaeus. Also, he met up with a guy named Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Remember him when you were a little kid? He was a wee little man, a lee little man was he. Remember that, singing that song? Well, he was small in structure, but he also, he also was a notorious sinner. He was collecting, if you will, taxes from the enemy. That's what he was doing to his own people. And the Jews saw him as an outcast. But Jesus built a relationship with this guy. And Zacchaeus became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was transformed. So after leaving Jericho, Jesus and the disciples start heading towards Jerusalem. And they come to a little town called Bethage. Bethage, sorry about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And it's here where Jesus says to his two disciples, go get me a donkey and a colt. And we pick up the story again in verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say to the Lord, needs them, and he will send them right away. This was a really unusual request. And if I would have been one of the disciples, I would have said something like, Jesus, if I untie these donkeys, are they going to accuse me of stealing them? I mean, do you know these people? But they don't say anything. They just go. Now, Jesus asked the disciples to do some unusual things. For example, questionable things. Remember when, P when Peter and those guys are out fishing and Jesus comes, a big crowd's there. He gets in. Peter's boat pushes it out in the lake and begins to preach when he's done. He comes back to the shore, and there's Peter and the boys. They're all fixing up their nets. And Jesus says, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. Let's go out to the deep. Let's go fishing. And Peter questions him. He says, Jesus, listen, we've been out all night long fishing. We haven't caught a thing, okay? Look, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter. Look, we know about fishing. Okay, You fish at night. You don't go fishing in the middle of the day. But they finally do what Jesus told them to do. And what happens? They catch so much fish that the nets are breaking. I mean, they caught the biggest fish of their, fishing, 
fish that they ever caught in their lives. Another time, Jesus is there, and Peter is over somewhere, and the not the disciples, the religious leaders walk up to Peter and say, hey, listen, are you and your master paying the tax, the temple tax? So if you will, the IRS is showing up and saying, hey, do you and your master pay your taxes? So Peter goes back to Jesus and says, Jesus, you know, they're saying this. He says, listen, go down to the lake, go fishing, you're going to catch a fish. You're going to open up that fish, and in, that, in its mouth is going to be a coin. It's going to be the exact amount to pay our taxes. So what's Pete do? He goes down to the lake, he goes fishing, finds, catches a fish, opens it up, there's a coin, he pays all his taxes. When these two disciples were asked to go get those donkeys, they don't question. Why? Because I believe before there was Nike who came up with the slogan, just do it, the disciples came up with that. Just do it. When Jesus Christ asks you to do something, don't question him. Just do it. It's going to work out. Look what it says in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus has instructed them, and they bring back the donkey and the colt. Now the question is, why did Jesus ask for this donkey? Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell you anywhere that the Lord Jesus Christ rides on anything until right now. He's been walking from place to place wherever he goes, but now he chooses to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, verse four and five tells us. Verse four says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, a fowl, foal of a donkey. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zacharias 500 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. But this is just one of many prophecies foretold in the Old Testament about the Messiah. Matter of fact, there's over 330 plus prophecies talking about the Messiah in the Old Testament. But did you know that Jesus Christ in his lifetime fulfilled all 330 prophecies? He fulfilled them all. Let that soak in. Think about that. He fulfilled them all. These prophecies were foretold thousands of years before he ever showed up. Some of them he could control, like riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but he couldn't control like hanging on the cross and the soldiers are there gambling for his clothes. There are hundreds of prophecies like that that he had no control over. I know that must blow your mind. It blows mine because it's unbelievable, undeniable evidence that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. But let's think about these folks on that day, what was happening. That one prophecy was being fulfilled. That was a historical prophetic moment for them. They had been waiting for 500 years for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And they're seeing it with their own eyes as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. So Jesus is riding in to fulfill prophecy, but also he is also purposefully identifying himself as the Messiah to the nation of Israel. The only time and the last time he does it. But when Jesus would heal people, he would do miracles, he would say to them, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, it's not my time. 
And then the people would come to him and try to force him to be their king. He'd say, no, no, I'm not. Why? Because it's not my time. But right now, on this particular day, he chooses. He chooses to identify himself as the Messiah and the king of the Jews. He decides on this day. Why is that? We'll tell you about that in a minute. But let's look what happens in verses 7 through 9. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. Now we know in the other gospels, what kind of branches are they? Say it again. Palm branches. That's why we call this Palm Sunday. From the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, those that followed, shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Three things that the disciples in the crowd did, which tells us without question, without a shadow of a doubt, that they understood and they knew that they were proclaiming Jesus as their Messiah and as their king. As he identified, they're saying, yes, they agree. You are the Messiah and you are the king. Why do I say that? Three things. First, when they spread their cloaks on the donkey and on the road, that was something that the Jewish people did to recognize someone as their king. You can look that up in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13 says this. Just one example. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So historically, this is what they did when the Jewish people were announcing or identifying their king. Second, why did they pick up palm branches? Well, palm branches were considered symbols of victory and triumph. When someone like a king uh, won a great victory, they would salute him and acknowledge that he has won a great victory. So what they're doing is they're laying out the red carpet for Jesus as he's riding into Jerusalem as their king. Third, when they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's a phrase right out of Psalm 118. Say it to me. Psalm what? 118. That's significant. You know why? That's a, mess it's a messianic psalm. That's reserved only for the Messiah. So when they shouted Hosanna, they were saying, which literally means, save now. When they used the phrase, son of David, that was the most common title given to the Messiah. So what they were saying, save us now, great Messiah, save us now. Clearly understanding what they were saying and who they say he was. And the people were shouting Psalm 118 because they believed that. They believed Jesus was fulfilling Psalm 118. And on the first Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem as if he is a conquering hero. But they were looking for a political hero. Oh, so many people today looking for that. Jeez. Good luck. Those of you that watch that, and they were looking for a Messiah who would rescue them from the Romans. They were hoping he would launch a revolution. <laughs> and rightly so, they were being extremely oppressed by the Romans. I would have wanted that. I get it. 
But remember, this is Passover time, guys. This is the time that they're remembering Moses and how he delivered their ancestors from their enemies. They're hoping to God that Jesus is going to deliver them from their enemies. We could see that. However, something was wrong with the picture. Because you see, when someone who won a war or was coming in declaring war, they would ride in on a white stallion. But when the king was riding in on a donkey, not a stallion, it, he was declaring peace. So when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, they're all excited, but then they realize this picture's wrong. He's not, he's not coming in saying he wants war. He's saying he's coming in to bring peace. No, man, we wanted somebody to start a revolution. What's this all about? So as they see him, they're saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe he isn't the one. And five short days later, they're not yelling Hosanna. They're yelling crucify him. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations. You ever walk away from God because he just didn't meet your expectations? You ever get ticked off at God because he just doesn't do what you want him to do? That's what these folks are doing. We want a king, man. We don't want a savior. What are, you, what are you talking about bringing peace? Look what it says in verse 10. When Jesus entered to, to, into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. How would you like the Pits, city of Pittsburgh be stirred? Huh? Now what we're praying for? And asked, who is this? Verse 11. The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Unbelievable. In minutes and hours ago, they were calling him the Messiah and the King. Now he's just a prophet. Why is that? Because somewhere in there, same crowd, they've come to, con to some kind of conclusion. He might not be the one here. Because we're looking for someone to overthrow the Roman government, and he's bringing peace. And next thing you know, they're yelling, crucify him. The first Palm Sunday took a twist that no one saw coming but Jesus. The disciples didn't see it. The crowd didn't see it. The religious leaders didn't see it. But Jesus knew about it, saw it completely without question. He tells the disciples before he ever gets to Jerusalem three times that he is going to die on a cross and be raised again from the dead. Look it up. Go to the cafe today. Open up your Bibles. Matthew 16, 21. First time he says it. Then over in Matthew 17, 22, and 23, he tells them again. And then just before he's going into Jerusalem, in Matthew 20, 17, and 19, this is what it says. Now Jesus was going into Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus told them, and they didn't understand. Have you ever not understood some things from the scriptures? Kind of encourages you. 
Why do I say that? Look, look, look what John says in chapter 12, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. It wasn't until he died, Jesus was crucified, he was raised again from the dead, he ascended onto the right hand of the Father, he was glorified, and then the Holy Spirit was sent. It wasn't until then that the disciples understood what had happened. So let me close with two things. Two things happened when Jesus rode in on that Palm Sunday. First, he fulfilled Zachariah's prophecy. Your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey. It was a prophecy that those Jewish people knew really well. So that's why they're screaming, you are our Messiah, you are our king, when he rides in. However, they were mistaken, and obviously, about the fact that he was, they didn't understand what kind of king he was going to be. They were expecting, if you will, a great military, political, and military leader. They were looking for a revolution, but they were mistaken. Jesus didn't come to set up his kingdom on the planet yet. Oh, by the way, he will come on a white stallion. He will come. But he didn't come then. He came, if you will, to, to set up his kingdom in the hearts of people who would put their faith in him. Second, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem not as a triumphant Messiah. He is riding in as the final Passover lamb. Say that with me. The final Passover lamb. Say it like you mean it. The final Passover lamb. Very important. You see, Jesus is putting into motion a series of events that would lead him to the cross. He's doing it. What I'm saying is Jesus was in total control, absolutely, totally in control. Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen three different times. He got it. He understood that he was fulfilling Zacharias, Zechariah 9.9. He knew that. He understood that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were plotting to kill him. He understood that these people, the crowd, were misled to believe that he was going to be a military king or Messiah. Totally understood it. But he went to Jerusalem anyway, and he chose the day he was going in. Now, sometimes we're tempted to think that Jesus is some kind of victim. We, we're, we're tempted to think that those Pharisees and religious leaders were in some way in control, that Jesus was a helpless, he was helpless, he was swept away, to an untimely execution, but that is absolutely a lie. That's not the case at all. I want you to notice that from the moment he was going in, from the moment he was in there, and the whole process through it, Jesus is not a tragic figure whose plans have horribly derailed. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and he was unfolding his plan, the Father's plan, to lay down his life for mankind, for you. You're the only one on the planet he would have done it. For you he was coming, and for me. So when you read the rest of the story, it isn't the chief priest, the Pharisees, Judas, Pilate, the Roman soldiers, or even the crowd that had the power to take his life. 
No. Oh, they participated, yes, but they did not have the power to take his life. Jesus Christ gave his life. David. Look what it says. This is what he said in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus wasn't a victim, my friend. He was on a mission. And he told us about it. In Luke 19.10, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for you. It was his love for you. Jesus is the final Passover lamb. Now, Pastor Craig did a spectacular job last week explaining to us about the Passover. So I can't, I don't have enough time. So check that out. Go get a sermon, but I will read from Exodus chapter 12, verse two. This month is to be for you the first month of the first month of your year. In other words, talking about the first month of the Jewish calendar. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, what day? Say it loud. 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be a year old lambs or males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. What day? 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel may slaughter them at twilight. So these, these people, for 1,500 years, the Jewish people, have been gathering in the city of Jerusalem, and they have been putting into practice that very thing right there. Celebrating the Passover lamb, Passover meal. And it, they are instructed that they are to select their lamb on the 10th day of the first day of the month. You know what that month is called? It's called Nisan. Not referring to the car. I'm referring to the first month of the Jewish calendar. So they were instructed on that day to pick their lamb no defect, no blemish, and bring it. And then on the, tenth, on the 14th day, that lamb would be slaughtered on their behalf as the Passover. The day Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem, the people were shouting, Hosanna, the king! Hosanna, the son of David! They were totally unaware that they were selecting the final Passover lamb. They didn't see it. And guess what day that was? Tenth day of Nisan. Everybody else is picking thousands upon lambs. Millions of people choosing a lamb on that same day. Here comes Jesus Christ, chose the day, rides in, and they're screaming, here he is, here he is, and they selected him on the 10th day of Nisan. Then on the 14th day of Nisan, for 1,500 years, the, the great historian Josephus, Jewish historian, tells us that 250,000 lambs were crucified, were, were killed every year at this time in the, corporal, in the, in the, in the temple courts. 250,000 lambs. 
on Nisan 14, on this particular time, lambs were being slaughtered in the temple court. And Jesus Christ, on the 14th day of Nisan, was being crucified on a cross. In the book of Hebrews, it says that the Old Testament sacrificial system was only a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ, during this time, fulfilled the shadow of the things to come. It was true. It was true what John the Baptist said. He said, loud and clear, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was the final, last, only sacrifice that we need. Look what it says in verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and said, who is this? Let me ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? The disciples, remember there's 12, one of them committed suicide, one of them was sent off into an island, but 10 of them died for what they believed in. They were martyrs of the faith. Then you have the apostle Paul who was killing Christians, meets up with the resurrected Jesus Christ, he becomes a believer, but he gets his head cut off in, in, in Rome. He's a martyr of the faith. All of those men, they didn't die for a lie, my friend. You might get one crazy person dying for a lie, but you don't get 11 people dying for what they believe is not true. You get people dying for what you believe in. They saw him alive. Matter of fact, America loves to tell us that Jesus is a good guy. He's a moral teacher. He's a prophet. That's not what Jesus Christ says about himself at all. That's not what the disciples say. That's not what the Bible says. What does he say? Jesus says, I am God. If you've seen me and I, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Why did they crucify Jesus? Because they accused him of blasphemy. He claimed that I am God. Then he claimed that he has all power and authority to forgive you of your sin. He has that power and authority. Now you might say to somebody that hurts you, I can forgive you, but you don't stand up and say, I can forgive everything you've ever done. But Jesus made that claim. And then he claimed, it, it, salvation isn't through you being good enough, through your works, it's through my finished work. I paid for your sin. I died on that cross. And then he says, and I am the resurrection. I walked out of the grave. Jesus Christ overcame sin and death. He is the only one that can forgive you and deliver you and guarantee that heaven will be your home. No one else will ever be able to do that but him. He said, yeah, give, him, give applause to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he was saying, I tell you the truth. I am the way to eternal life. He's either lying or he's telling the truth. But you cannot call him some moral teacher. You cannot call him some prophet if you're gonna say he lies. Doesn't happen. He either is who he said he is or not. He said he's either God, you have gotta say he's not God then. 
But he's the one who said, I have all power, all authority, and I can forgive you, and I can guarantee when you die, and you will die, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in the kingdom of God. Might be one of you here. You're going, wow, Pastor Ed, I, I never really put all that together. Man, I've been living my life. Listen, God knows everything about you. He went to that cross for you. Don't be afraid. Just call on his name. Christian or non-Christian, he he's the only one you got. He's the only one that's going to help you. But if you're not sure you know Jesus, just bow your head with me. Everyone bow your heads. You, this prayer is, does not say, listen, the prayer doesn't save you, Jesus. This is just you. I'm helping you today to respond to him. That's all I'm doing. You're responding to the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's right here. He's walked right up to you. He's standing right in front of you. Talk to him. And he's saying, what do you want? Tell him. Lord Jesus, I want you to forgive me. God, I've been living my life totally insane. Please, Jesus, forgive me. Rescue me, Jesus. Forgive me and fill me with your spirit, Lord God. Fill me with your spirit that I might become a child of the living God. I want to become a child of the living God. Do it right now in my life. I turn from the way I'm living my life and I'm turning to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me and make me a child of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just want to thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with your eyes right here, let me just say this to you. If you prayed that prayer, very important to come tell somebody. Tell Pastor Craig. Tell myself, one of the pastors. We want to help you. We want to help you walk with God. Come back next Sunday. Come back so you can grow in this brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. But for the, all of us that are in the kingdom and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, let us walk knowing that he truly lives and he lives within you. If, by the way, if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. I, I want to see you. I might not know your name, but I'll see what you, you prayed today. And I just want to make sure I, I can pray for you. Anybody? Raise their hands. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, folks. Anybody else, folks, in the back there? How about over here? Anybody? Just raise your hand. God sees that hand. He knows what you've done. And he sees you. You are not invisible to him. People came to know Jesus today, everybody. What would we do if we were the people in heaven? <laughs> Praise God. And I say this to those of you that prayed. Welcome to the family of God. You made the greatest decision of your life. You are now a brother or a sister to me, and I'd love to meet you after the service. God bless you.